Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truth of the Son of God becoming man. He who is from all eternity, who lives outside of man's time domain in an eternal present, stepped into the linear time domain of man, which contains past, present, and future. Why would God want to lower himself? Because the object of his love was lost. You and I. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John the Apostle begins his Gospel by introducing us to Jesus, the Son of God. And in this first verse, he very carefully constructed it to refer to the personal distinctiveness, yet the essential oneness of the Word, Jesus, with God. And as Pastor Xavier is presenting a Simple Truths character study of John, we get a great perspective of the character of Jesus Christ from this very special gospel. Let's listen. Kepler, the astronomer, was troubled by one of his friends who denied the existence of God and took the view of the universe had prevailed as it is thought of today that it came to be simply by some mechanical method. And so Kepler in order to convince his friend, constructed a model of the sun with the planets circulating around it. When the friend came into the observatory and he saw the beautiful model, he exclaimed with delight, How beautiful it is! Who made it? And Kepler carelessly answered, No one made it. It made itself. His friend looked at him and said, Nonsense! Tell me who made it. Kepler then replied, Friend, you say that this little toy cannot make itself. It is but a very weak imitation of this great universe, which I understood you believe did make itself. Wise man. (laughs) John in his theology is clear about the nature of God. Again, back to Gospel chapter 1. John tells us that God was from all eternity. You know the first verse, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and God was the Word. In the beginning of time was the Word, first of all, he says. God was before he created uh, matter, the world, or man. But also, God lives in an eternal time domain by this first verse. Not a linear time as we know it where there is Past, present, and future time continuum. He lives in an eternal present. But also notice that the Word was with God. That's the second thing that he tells us. The Word is one person. God is another person. The two are separate and distinct persons. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Okay? Two distinct persons. Then he says, thirdly, that the Word was God. Literally, God was the Word. So the Word is identified as God sharing all the attributes of deity. The Word was God. God was the Word. So the same attribute that God has, the Word has to have. Deity. The Word is separate and distinct from God, yet God also, by virtue of being identified God. 
The obvious truth being that there are two persons mentioned in the Godhead here. Get a little ahead of us, but God the Father, God the Son, both God. Secondly, in the same chapter, John tells us that God became man. Down in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice the Word who was from all eternity with God, the Father was separated from the Father at a set time in the history of man. The Word who was the Son of God inhabited the tabernacle of man's flesh, a human body. The Word is identified by John as Jesus, the Messiah, who revealed all the glory of the Father to impart all grace and truth to man in verses 16 and 17. So John does not begin with his birth. John begins with his eternal existence. Jesus did not, he not say in John's gospel to the Jews, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> did not John say, he was before me? How could that be? John was six months older than Jesus. Because he was from all eternity. How could he say he's not 50 years old, Abraham? Before Abraham was, I am. He rejoiced and saw my day and he saw and he was glad. Find Jesus in the Old Testament and Abraham. There's your homework. There's um, a couple of places, very, very strong possibilities. John in his first epistle confirms all this. Listen to him. The opening verses of verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled, concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Was with the Father from all eternity and took on flesh. We handled him, we touched him, we gazed upon him, we saw him, we heard him. John is emphasizing that Jesus was a real person with a real body, not a phantom, as the Gnostics were saying. They said that he walked on sand and leave footprints. <laughs> That it really wasn't Christ who died on the cross, but his deity left him prior to his death, so you just have a man dying on the cross. So John is really nailing him. Jesus was the word of life, eternal life, which was with the Father and all from all eternity and manifested at a set time in a set area of space in a particular body, incarnate. He who is from all eternity, who lives outside of man's time domain, and an eternal present stepped into the linear time domain of man, which contains past, present, and future. Why would God want to lower himself? Because the object of his love was lost. You and I. Now, thirdly, John tells us that the God-man experienced all that we do. I'm just going to give you certain things. He got hungry. The scriptures tell us often. They show him eating. But Jesus got angry also at injustices. Remember he cleansed the temple in the gospel of John chapter 2 verse 3 through 16. He cleansed it. He did that twice. One of the areas where he got hungry was in John 4 8. When he was talking to the woman of Samaria, his disciples went out to get food. They came back and they said, 
aren't you hungry? He says, I have meat that you know not of. Talking about doing the work of the Father. He saw and felt the misery of people who were in misery. Remember the man in the pool of uh, Bethesda in John 5, 6? And he healed them. He was rejected by his own people. John 6, 42. The Jews. He wept for unbelief at Lazarus' grave in John eleven thirty five. He was betrayed by one of the closest companions, Judas Iscariot. John 18, 2 and 3. He was denied by the number one apostle, Peter. John 18, 27. He was accused falsely before Pilate by the Jews in John 18, 30. And he died in John 19, 30. All of those things you and I will go through. They're not exhaustive. But he partook of everything that you and I go through, Hebrews says. Therefore, he's a faithful high priest. Knowing our weaknesses. Being a faithful, compassionate high priest. Daniel Webster, in the prime of his manhood, was dining one day with a company of literary men in Boston. The conversation turned the subject on Christianity, which Mr. Webster expressed his belief in the divinity of Christ and dependency for the atonement of his salvation as Savior. One said to him, Mr. Webster, can you comprehend how Christ could be both God and man? Mr. Webster promptly replied, No, sir, I cannot comprehend it. If I could comprehend him, he would be no greater than myself. I feel that I need a superhuman Savior. That's good. <laughs> John in his theology tells us that Jesus is the incarnation of God. You can't miss it. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit of God in John's theology. The Holy Spirit is developed by John in an unequal way to anyone else in the New Testament. It's unparalleled. Now, I'm not talking about the number of times the Holy Spirit is mentioned, for the book of Acts mentions that 50 times directly, while John mentions the Holy Spirit directly only 32 times in all five of his writings. 18 in the gospel, 12 in Revelation, and 5 in the first epistle. What I'm speaking about is what John provides about the Holy Spirit in a very detailed and concise teaching and expounding about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit that is unparalleled to any of the other authors. Let me give you some of them. The Spirit descended from heaven like a dove on Jesus at his baptism in John 1.32. A very specific point in time in the office of the Messiah. The Spirit is the one who brings the new birth, John 3.5 tells us. Very specifically, in a very detailed conversation as we've seen. The Spirit was not given to Jesus by measure, John tells us, John 3.34. The Spirit gives life, John 6, 
63 tells us. The Spirit was to be given when Jesus was glorified, John 7, 39 says. As Jesus there in the Feast of Tabernacles says, when they poured the water out and he stood up and he says, If any man thirst, let him come unto me, for out of his innermost being shall gush torrents of living water. And then John gives us a commentary. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit that was not given to churches of yet because Jesus was not yet glorified. He's the only one. The Spirit speaks to the seven churches in Asia in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 in those letters. The Spirit and the bride close the book of Revelation with the invitation, Come, and let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take of the waters of life freely. Revelation twenty two seventeen. John gives us such a wealth regarding the third person of the Trinity that it is amazing. Which brings us to our second point here, that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We've already met the Father and the Son, and he introduces us to the third person throughout his letters. He is a person, for a personal pronoun is used of him. Particularly in John 14, 15, and 16. There's a concentration the night before he was betrayed. He, him. A personal pronoun. He is called the comforter or the helper. The parakleos or the parakletos, which means one who come alongside. The comforter. The advocate. John 14, 16, 14, 26, 15, 26. Jesus says, I will send you another Comforter in John 14, 16. The word another means another just like me. Of a different number, but of the same kind. A distinct person, but of the same source. Just like him. Confirming the words of John 7, 38 and 39. That the Spirit was not given yet because Jesus was not yet glorified. He is called the Spirit of Truth, by the way, in John 14, 17. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way the truth, and the life. He dwells and is in the believer, John 14, 17 says. He is the agent by which Jesus comes to the believer by the words of Jesus in John 14, 18. And I will come to you through the Holy Spirit. So it's the third person of the Godhead, yet Jesus comes to us through him. He will teach us all things, bring all things to our remembrance, John 14, 26 tells us. In his first epistle, 1 John 2, 20, he says that we have an anointing from the Holy One, and we know all things, and he is the one who turns the light on and illuminates for us for understanding. In fact, in 1 John 2.27, John says that the anointing which we have received abides in us and we have no need that anyone teach us the things of Jesus. Now, some people have trouble with that scripture. Now, he's not contradicting the need of teachers or the gift of teacher or pastor teacher. He's what he's saying in the context of 1 John with these Gnostics who are teaching special knowledge is that it's the Holy Spirit who turns the light on in the scriptures and makes us know truth from air, comparing the scriptures. Though I am your pastor teacher, when this word goes forth, it's the Holy Spirit who turns the light on for you, not me. 
He's the one that makes it true, real. As you study the scripture in its context and you open your heart to him. So it's the spirit of God who illuminates. It's the spirit of God who opens our understanding. He testifies of Jesus of no one else, John 15, 26. Whenever a church exalts the Holy Spirit more than Jesus, it's unscriptural. The Holy Spirit is a silent witness of Jesus. He does not testify of himself. He testifies of Jesus, John 15, 26. He could not come until Jesus left, John 16, 17. It's absolutely necessary that I leave. If I don't leave, he can't come, Jesus said. Kind of a, like a baton relay race. They handed it off. And the reason you know that Jesus got to heaven is because the Holy Spirit got to the earth. <laughs> And that's how you know that Jesus arrived. He convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. John 16, 8. He will guide us into, listen, all truth. And he will not speak of his own authority and tell us things to come. John 16, 13. In fact, he will glorify Jesus by declaring what is of Jesus. John 16, 14. Did you hear that? He will glorify Jesus. So he desires no glory. He takes no glory. He honors no glory for himself. The glory he gives to Jesus. Now that should really straighten up some theology in some churches. <laughs> Biblical theology comes from the text. John and his theology is very informative about the Holy Spirit of God. Very informative. Fourth and last the coming of God is in John's theology. First of all, John makes a clear distinction between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus. In his gospel, the 14th chapter, Jesus, um, in the context here, is speaking to his disciples about his departure, and that his disciples are not able to follow him till afterwards, and we have to look back to John 13, 36 for that. And yet here in the opening of chapter 14, in verse 1, Jesus told them not to be afraid, but to believe in him as they had believed in God. In verse 2, he told them about the abiding place that were in the Father's house and that he was going to prepare a place for them. And then in verse 3, he then told them that if in fact he was going to prepare a place for them, then he would come back to receive them to himself in order to that they be with him. Why else would he come back to receive them to himself? Now, notice in these three verses, Jesus had fulfilled the first coming of the Messiah to suffer for the sins of the world in his very presence. Jesus was also going to return to judge the world and set up his kingdom at the end of the age. That was his second coming. The thing is that they thought that this first coming was to establish the kingdom because they never saw the suffering Messiah. So they had the Hebrew mindset. That's why James and John asked him for the right hand and the left hand. We've gone through that many times. They wanted to rule. But notice that Jesus is very specific. This coming is to receive them, here it is, to himself and be with him where? In his father's house. He's going to his father's house to prepare a place to come receive them. But to what? To be with him where? In the father's house. 
There's the context. Jesus went out of his way to make the very sharp distinction from receiving them to himself and returning with them to set up the kingdom. This is not even talking about the second coming. This is the first mention of the rapture in the Gospel of John, the first three verses of chapter 14. The context is the Father's house. The context is receiving the disciples to himself. That's a sharp distinction between coming back with them to set up the kingdom. If you do not make that distinction, then you do not see a rapture and a second coming. You see them all as one, as some Christians do. And therefore, you will believe that we will go through the tribulation, which is nonsense. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Notice, secondly, John confirms this in his first epistle. Let me give you some verses. He encourages the believers to abide in Christ. Listen to 1 John 2.28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. The word coming is parousia, referring to the physical presence of Jesus. There is another word that is a couple other words that are used. One is manifestation. Epiphanius, and the other one is the unveiling, Apocalypsis. But the parousia is his coming back for us, his presence. He will be present, we'll see him. He will receive us to himself. Now, he reminds the believer of the sudden change that will take place, John, in 1 John 3, 1 and 2. Listen, Beloved, now are we the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's the rapture, like it is here in John, the distinction. Because when Jesus returns, we're going to set up the kingdom with him on earth, not in the Father's house. All right? Mark the context. He relates that this promise is the greatest incentive for holy living in the next verse. Listen to 1 John 3, 3. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he, Christ, is pure. The greatest incentive for holy living is for you to know that Jesus can come back at any second for you in the rapture of the church. Both the Old and New Testament are filled with the promises of the second coming. There are 1,845 in 17 references to it in the Old Testament. Incredible. And of 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are 318 references to the second coming, or one in 30 verses. 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to the great event. For every prophecy on the first coming, there are eight on Jesus' second coming. One-third of the Bible is prophecy. John in his theology is confident about the coming of God. How about you? This is John's theology. John in his theology is clear about the nature of God. John in his theology tells us that Jesus is the incarnate God. John in his theology is very informative about the Holy Spirit of God. John in his theology is very confident 
about the coming of God. I mean, John is rich in the things of God. Pastor Xavier Reese, coming to a conclusion of today's character study of John with a fitting summary of the theology we glean from his writings. And just before we close, let me take a moment to mention that copies of today's character study, simply titled John Part 2, are available on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last we were together as well. Now, once again, the title to ask for is simply John Part 2, or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com